welcome to The Pemberley Podcast, a podcast where we discuss Jane Austen adaptations, now covering Bridgerton on Netflix. I'm Yolanda Rodriguez. And I'm Julian Davis. We're proud partners of the Frolic Podcast Network, a community made up of your favorite voices in all of Romancelandia and beyond. Keep up with us on Twitter and Instagram at The Pemberley, and you can email us at thepemberleypodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Pemberley Podcast. This week, we're diving into episode three of Bridgerton. But first, we want to take just a sec to let us know what we're reading and watching outside of Bridgerton. Yolanda, why don't you start us off? Sure. I'm currently watching a show on Netflix called Song Exploder, which is based on a podcast of the same name. It is hosted by Rishi K. Shirway. This podcast that he started years ago will interview an artist or a band about a particular song and they really just sort of explode it. Uh, They kind of take each bit of the song and kind of go through why this choice or why these lyrics and seeing how it all pieced together, how it formed and where it places in their album and the whole story around it. And it's this really cool look at it. And then at the end of each episode, they play the song in in its entirety. So then you kind of get like this sort of 15 minute backstory on all things about this song. And then you get like the full song and you kind of get this whole new appreciation for the music writing process and how it comes to be. And so the show in itself is the actual interviews um, in person with these people and you kind of see them playing their instruments and seeing it happen. Season one, actually, you had The Room Where It Happens from Hamilton. They had Lin-Manuel. They had the music director whose name I'm blinking on right now. They had Tommy Kale, the director, but they kind of talk through that song and how it happened and all the process around it. Uh, They just released season two, so you have like Dua Lipa, you have The Killers, you have Alicia Keys, and so you have all these really cool people coming together and breaking down uh, their songs. Highly recommend it. So what are you currently reading, Jillian? Well, thank you for asking. I've sort of just gotten into, and it's quite a long book. It's over 600 pages. I think it's kind of a sleeper hit. I'm really into it. I can't say too much because I'm not that far into it. But it's a book called Plain Bad Heroines by Emily M. Danforth. And she's the author who wrote The Miseducation of Cameron Post, which was a popular book that was made into a movie starring Chloe Grace Moretz. Many years ago in like 1902, this is not biographical, this is all fiction. Um, there were these two young girls out of girls boarding school in Rhode Island, real fancy, and these two girls were in love with each other. They were discovered dead in the woods by these like horrible, horrible murder hornets, and they were found in possession of a piece of like queer literature. And it became a very like sensational story. And like her like one of the girl's cousin guy cousins was like chasing after them and he like barely escaped with his life because of the murder hornets and it was like a whole scandal. It's also about the making of the movie about that. Like it's years later it's like a non-pandemic 2020 (laughs) you know there's this actress who's like set to star in the movie based on this happening this big scandal it's about a lot of things there's kind of this lemony snicket-esque narrator that's with us the whole time so it's, it's a very clever book there's a lot of footnotes that kind of play into the like wink wink it's sort of meta it's kind of about the exploration of like plain bad heroines as well Mm. so i'm i'm getting through it (laughs) (laughs) 
seamless transition time into episode three of Bridgerton, Art of the Swoon. Yeah, so where we left off, Daphne and the Bridgertons were trying to deal with this awful proposal that Daphne got from this much older man. What's his last bourbon? Burberry? Bur- Burbrook. Was like horrible. Burbrook. Burbrook. Horrible. Horrible. They got some good dirt on him. They let it leak to the Lady Whistledown. That issue has been taken care of. And it's only really pushed Daphne to up the ruse with Simon. So now they're kind of even more committed to making this work for for Daphne. So that's where we're starting off there. But we also pick up now with this episode, Daphne is starting to catch feelings for Simon because she's already rejected three proposals. She has a dream about him where they're dancing and he like takes off her glove and like they're together. She kind of wakes up and she's like, oh no, like what's going on? (laughs) Yeah, this is another sort of like sexy episode. We're back with the sexiness. That tension and that heat that I feel like we've been promised finally is happening between the Duke and Daphne. In fact, he's asked her to call him Simon. It's like, I will help you with your ruse on one condition. You call me Simon. And she's like, okay. And so he calls her Daphne and she's like, okay. She's starting to look forward to these ruse, to their dates a little too much. She's kind of out of the suitor stage and she's gotten three proposals in one week. The goal was a proposal. She's had three of them and she's turned them all down. And it's not really one of those situations where she's trying to playing hard to get. I think she keeps saying like, no, I can do better. I can do better. I can do better. Not sort of lying to herself about the fact that she really wants Simon to propose to her. We know the reason why he does not intend to marry, but What's difficult about it is she has these really strong feelings for him now, and she knows that he has these strong feelings for her. And to her, love just kind of equals marriage. In fact, later on this episode, her mom does her the service and disservice of telling her, marry someone who feels like your closest friend. Because Lady Bridgerton was so lucky that she had that relationship with her husband. Like, they were a partnership. He was not, like, Anthony, like, struggling to figure out, like, what do I do? How do I be head of household? Like, he just cared about his family. Daphne is obviously struggling to find this quality in other men because she is so close to Simon and, and she has this emotional intimacy with him. And it's going to come to a head where she's confused as to, like, if they feel like they're close friends already, why don't they just make their fake courtship into to a real one. The other crux of this, there's a couple things happening here. Lady Whistledown is definitely like zeroing in on Daphne and the Duke. Lady Whistledown picked up on that of sure Daphne seemingly has like these high standards and is turning people away and even at that ball I mean she had kind of gone through different suitors none of them were really that impressive honestly like one was boastful one was like not a great conversationalist at all is she holding out for like the best of the best or is she holding out for a certain suitor who has yet to propose another thing happens where a Prussian prince is in town looking for a bride and the queen is pointing him in Daphne Bridgerton's direction. She's like, that's the diamond of the season. Charm her. The other issue here is the Duke is the highest ranking person that Daphne has caught the attention of. If you're looking to like, who's the best, objectively, who's the best I could do? 
He's kind of the best that she can do. The only guy who's outranking him in eligibility is this Prussian prince. And it sucks because she doesn't even want him. She <laughs> she wants to, you know, she and Simon are together at this ball and they're kind of making fun of like his cheesy liners. I do believe he just told Miss Cowper that her gown is exquisite. <laughs> do you think so? He is here to tell every lady the very same thing. Mm. So lovely to meet you, Miss Bridgerton. Your gown, it is... Exquisite. <laughs> the fact that the prince was still intrigued in Daphne after making maybe like a little bit of an embarrassing first impression shows like, all right, he's not like just looking for some cookie cutter person. He's looking for someone with personality and who can stand out. But Daphne is so smitten with the Duke and not realizing it. She doesn't see like what a great potential catch this is in front of her. I think under other circumstances, maybe like she would have seen him and been like, oh my goodness, of course, like, yes, a prince. And even like her mother isn't necessarily like steering her in that direction. I think it was actually Lady Danbury and Violet Bridgerton who kind of came up with this plan to kind of put them together in order for them to form an attachment and, mm -hmm. you know, make it think it was their idea. Good on the moms. That's or how you gotta play things. it. <laughs> Lady Danbury and the Duke are alone in the carriage for a while and she's like, you've been spending an awful lot of time with Daphne Bridgerton. You can only show so much interest in her. You have to actually be serious about her. Like basically, we are at the point where you are paying her a lot of attention. Either make it real and propose to her or you need to let her go and you need to let her find someone who is going to propose. You need to free her Well, up. yeah, because she, she points out like she's like, this prince is in town. Clearly he has taken a lot liking to Daphne. So either you propose or she misses out on like the biggest opportunity of like this proposal ever. So either step up or back away. And that's uh, obviously going to be heartbreaking to Daphne, who's like, again, kind of coming up with more and more excuses to hang out with him more, being like, oh, yeah. there's this other event we have to go to. Oh, we got a promenade again. Like, we have to go do this Ugh. thing. There's this big event that they go to at Somerset where, like, all these new art pieces are on displays. Everyone goes to check it out. It's still, like, a formal event, but it's not a ball. It's there that Daphne actually sneaks away to go find Simon, and they're in this room alone together i mean it's like this bright room so it's not like going to be scandalous in any way they but kind it of, could be it could be i don't I, I feel like it could be and they're like but you're worth the risk you know yeah. like it's not the same level of scandal as like them being caught together in the garden at night right. but they're both gloveless they're alone there is a risk but they kind of don't care anymore i think though the whole point of it is the fact that you know whenever they're out in public they make sure everyone can see them right so that Daphne is seen with Simon she catches the eye of other men so then like they'll be inclined to try to pursue her them talking together in this room alone isn't benefiting any of them they're for not their, performing for anyone right for their like supposed ruse but this is now something that is personal for them this is like their connection is growing on a personal level not just for the sake of what the public is seeing they hold hands you know they touch and they hold hands and it's like they're a bit like magnets they don't even realize what's happening before it's happening 
happening, but then this huge commotion is caused by another young lady in society, Cressida Cowper. Oh, yeah. She has put the worst. Yes. I mean, no. She spilled her drink on Penelope in the first episode. Remember yeah, that? She did, but also, I mean, it's a competitive market. She's doing what she's got to do. She plays dirty. She puts on this big show where, you know, she has swooned in a very dramatic manner. Of course, perfect timing. The prince caught her. We don't see this. We kind of just see the aftermath of her on the floor and the prince tending to her. You know, it's supposed to be like this very staged romantic moment to then heighten the connection between her and the prince, which it seems to help for a moment. But again, he's got his eyes still set on Daphne. I don't think Cressida is uh, marketing herself very well because the prince tries to talk to Daphne. So like he compliments Daphne's dress at the ball. She laughs in his face. He tries again at this gallery opening and he tries to talk to her and she's like, I'm good. You should go talk to anyone else. Bye. (laughs) At this point, we're seeing is that like she and Simon are trying to get close to each other, not as a performance, but because they can't help it. She's literally like throwing the prince out of her way. She sees Simon go into this room alone. She's walking to that room. The prince gets in her way. She like throws him out of the way and just to see Simon. That's when Lady Danbury gives Simon a talking to and reminds him. It's not dissimilar to the verbal thrashing that Anthony got from his own mother of yeah. like, do not play with these girls' hearts. You have responsibilities. You have expectations. Do the right thing. And it's so hard for these guys. I don't think Simon realizes how far he's gotten into this thing too. It's not until Lady Danbury calls him out that he's like, this is getting a little too serious. This was a fun thing that we we were doing just to, for him, keep people away, for her, bring people in. But now it's like, they're starting to form the attachment. Well, he's convinced, and you've reminded me of this, like part of their conversation, he's like, no, trust me. Like she's not, she doesn't really want me. She wants someone like the prince. And then Lady Danbury is like, anyone with eyes can see that she's crazy about you. He's sort of convinced himself that Daphne is in control of her own heart and that she's just being a really good sport and she's like just doing a good job keeping up the ruse but he's like oh like she actually cares about me she actually thinks that I'm an option and and they have one more kind of like sexy time interaction where um because she's like hey a funny story uh Eloise and Penelope are trying to figure out where babies come from like that's (laughs) crazy right and he like doesn't tell her everything he basically like suggestively tells her like you know just uh touch yourself kind of thing the feelings that she woke up with with him in her dreams and like taking off the glove and and touching her upper body back where there's skin she kind of like takes that Simon fantasy to a whole new level and she's very much in love with him she's lying to herself about it still she's waiting for someone else to make her feel the way that Simon does and that's not gonna happen because she has these feelings for Simon there's a lot of female hearts that get like shattered in this episode so we'll start with Daphne because how the episode ends is she meets the Duke at their usual ice cream parlor spot and she's like hey what if we did something fun and different today like I like this place place but let's do something different he pulls an anthony bridgerton and he's just like i can't see you anymore you now have a bevy of suitors at your disposal and i've been afforded great relief from mamas and daughters alike in order to conduct my affairs in peace whilst remaining in london thus our arrangement has succeeded miss bridget stop calling me that it is these very circumstances that prove what are you doing? that prove our ruse should hereby need to end 
his explanation is that like we've completed our goal. Well, and he's leaving England, so he's yeah. like, I'm leaving, so I guess we can't do this anymore. Yeah, so he's trying to pile on excuses of like, one, I'm my business is done here. I came into town just for this one thing. You just happen to be wrapped up into it, but now I'm leaving. We're done with our thing. It's, it's tough on Daphne because she's like, what now? Like she was starting to get used to this idea of being with him too, and maybe seeing it as a possibility. But now you know she needs to kind of redirect her focus, which she does really well. She goes into the next ball with like her best dress, gorgeous hair, exactly how it always looks, but still great and best jewelry. Yeah. And like this beautiful feather fan. And she has such a perfect entrance into this party, you know, fashionably late so that everyone will see her walking down this grand staircase. Including the prince. Oh, prince yes. Prussia. He Which sees her. He sees. so sad because like he's right in the middle of a dance with Cressida. You know, I'm sure Cressida is like, I've got this. This is it. I'm going to be married <laughs> to a prince. Here we go go and then Anne walks Daphne and everyone's eyes shoot up and so she's like no like he was supposed to be and the duke and like he makes his way through the crowd and and meets Daphne at the end of the stairs she does this great move of dropping her fan and so he gets down almost as if on one knee in front of everyone and again everyone's eyes are on this scene which is just great it's a great moment of her being like Simon is moving on, so am I. And I think it's also, st- it's still like, you know, a little bit of a jab to Simon being like, if you want me to move on, I will. Look, I've got options. Hers is not the only heart that breaks no. and then reinvents itself. We've got Marina. Yeah. Who's got, so where we've left Marina is like, Lady Featherington comes in and is like, all right, we need to find you a husband. So she gets all dressed up to go to the gallery opening, gets introduced to the oldest man in the world. <laughs> And she's rude to him. He's like, you're beautiful and awful. I'm leaving. And so Lady Featherington takes Marina on a little field trip to the poor neighborhood. And she's like, this is your future if you don't get married. You will be poor. Look at that poor child playing in a muddy puddle. That's going to be your child. This is just your (laughs) life. Like, it's like scared straight. She's like, look at how poor you're going to be. And she's like, you can't scare me like your daughters. That's the thing is that they do have two different perspectives going into this. Again, we don't fully know Marina's situation was before coming here, but she's like, you brought me here. Guess what? These are good, hardworking families. Like, this isn't something to be ashamed of. Sure, I think seeing the kid on the street, she was like, oh, yeah, I don't, I wouldn't want that for my kid. But at the same time, you know, it is a difference in perspective of like, you see this as like the worst possible scenario for someone and because of your status and your your place in society. And to her, she's like, if I'm happy and in love, then that'll be enough. But Penelope has actually been kind of helping to get letters and send letters for Marina. And she hasn't received anything back from Sir George in Spain. Uh, And that's something that Lady Featherington points out to her. She's like, have you gotten a a letter back? Even though she's been sending like these long, beautiful love letters to him and pouring out all her feelings. Yeah, she's received nothing back. And that's the thing that Penelope is being such a great friend. She's like, maybe mail just takes longer to get from Spain, but it's like not that far over, but it's different times. Who knows? Tiny countries, (laughs) you know. Yeah. 
the other line that's definitely being drawn in this episode, the difference between the women in this show who have sexual experience versus not. Because when Lady Featherington takes Marina to this, you know, slum, she's like, I'm not one of your innocent daughters who's only seen like palaces. Like, this doesn't scare me. You can't scare me. Father of my child loves me and he's going to come back and we're going to have a life together. That's when Lady Featherington points men say all kinds of nice things when they like want to make love. They go back on their word and that just happens. And so that's why you need a husband. It's not like her interest is changed, but like I think when she sees that child playing in the mud, she kind of has the realization of like she can't just be strong and only look out for herself anymore. She's going to have a child soon to look after and she has to think about him or her. So Lady Featherington does something pretty awful because like you said, Penelope has been diligent about getting to the mail first. And one day, a letter from Spain arrives and it is from George saying, hi, I don't know what you're talking about. We didn't do that. I don't know you. Sounds like you have a problem. Marina is just heartbroken that he would deny their love and their relationship and their child like that. And we learn that Lady Featherington and her lady's maid or whatever, like head maid, they forged a letter. What do we do when a soldier arrives home, Mom? If he should return, I can say with certainty he will not be coming to collect her. She was going to learn the truth about men one way or another, Barley. We have done what is right and what is best, and now she is protected. This abandonment, this feeling of just like being completely lost is what spurs her to just sort of like embrace her. The Featherington colors, she shows up at the ball in this bright yellow dress and eagerly takes new suitors. So she's also trying to rise from the ashes, and she's got, like, she and Daphne both have these windows that are closing, you know? Marina, because she's gonna start showing, and she's gotta, like, trick some schmuck into thinking that she's pregnant with his child. And with Daphne, I mean, she's, diamonds don't shine forever. I hope we get to meet George in this season, and, and she learns the truth that she wasn't so harshly gotten rid of. So those are two hearts that are broken. So the third one is Anthony's soprano girlfriend, Sienna, who he loved. And then he was like, I have to be a grown up now. Bye. So we see sort of like how the more working class women of society work because Sienna has been staying with her good friend who's the local modiste, fakes a French accent. She's actually like her. She's like, she puts on this front as if she's French. I'm sure she gets a charge more because of that. Once everyone's away, she's like English, like everyone else there. You and I make our own way in the world. That we do. Which is why I shall find myself a wealthy, sensible gentleman to keep me in high fashion. One who will never break his word. Or prevent you from running up vast accounts of your beloved Modiste. Or run home every time his mother or sisters have need. <laughs> Anthony and, and Simon are at this like gentleman's club and they're kind of talking. And I think also Anthony is wanting to know like more of like, are you serious about my sister? And he's like, no, you know I'm not getting married. So they kind of clear that up. But then in walk yeah. a few different women that are invited in. In a secret doorway. Yes, and then immediately. I'm like, oh, great. He, I love that wives can trust I their know, husbands. Not, not the best, but that's immediately where Anthony sees Sienna. She doesn't see him. He makes up an excuse to Simon. He's like, I have to suddenly go to that side of the room. Sienna makes her way over to Simon. They kind of talk and she just invites him to come to the opera to see her sing. She's like, you know, I'm a soprano. You know, she's also trying to get her options and see what's going to happen. After that great gallery opening at Somerset, uh, it's actually interesting because Simon says, is, is supposed to go to the opera and decides to not go. Sienna gets stood up by 
by him. Uh, one of the last things we see of her is that Anthony actually goes back to see her. He's like, I miss you. I've been thinking about you and all these wonderful things. But it's, it shows just how much, you know, this series is looking at these storylines with the female gaze versus male gaze because instead of Sienna sort of giving in and being like, yes, of course, like I've been waiting and like I'm so happy that you're back and kind of giving into this like facade of a relationship, she's like, no, like you left, you have your place in society that I'm never going to fit into. I don't want to have to like fit into whatever box that you want me to be in. So she turns him away. He's coming back in a moment where, okay, things have settled down with Daphne. It's convenient for him to go back with her and continue on with this secret relationship. But she's like, no, I'm not going to just be here when it's convenient for you. And so she kind of takes charge of that and rejects him it's very i don't know if you people are watching season four of the crown (laughs) but it's like a whole thing where charles goes to camilla whenever he's sad which is freaking always like these dukes and these like rich privileged young men are just sad all the time and they're just like no one understands me nobody gets me you're the only one who gets me and just like crying into these women and it's just like so it's sad that like she literally has no plans unless a man comes and like asks her out and so I love that she's like no I don't have any other plans I don't have any other callers I don't have any other men in my life but you played me like a fool and I'm not going to be your fool anymore so unless you can like change your life and rearrange your priorities and I'm number one I don't want you to come and see me anymore like we're done and I just love that so much because Anthony's not a bad guy he is still trying to find his place in the world he's just getting away with everything and he doesn't know that he can get away with everything and he doesn't see the repercussions especially as it when it comes to women like he doesn't see how he screwed over his sister he doesn't see how he's screwing over sienna because he's like they're like whatever like they're not even real people (laughs) this had to happen to him they should have played thank you next in this episode (laughs) (laughs) they did play a bad guy by bailey eilish but that was kind of when um we see simon appear and then it kind of fades out so (laughs) i thought that was a good good music choice there I mean, where we're leaving off then is like these women kind of taking back any control and power that they they can and really just trying to show that they're not going to be like these just damsels in distress and heartbroken in their rooms and and waiting for the guy to come back. They're kind of going back out there and being like, no, I'm stronger than that and showing that they are. We see Daphne making that grand entrance and being asked to dance by the prince. We see Sienna pushing Anthony away the marina one's a little tricky but you know she is trying to embrace society still hoping things turn out better for her it is a weird thing where like lady featherington is in her mind being like i'm doing what's best for her because she doesn't know she's young and naive but at the same time she's hurting her not that i'm defending lady featherington i think she's doing a horrible thing but i understand that she's like come on let's get a move on we got to get you married to someone really quick i don't think it's coming out of place of malice at all i think it's coming out of like you don't realize that like you will be left with nothing you got to figure your life out and so it took the heartbreak for her to push her into embracing finding options or finding suitors so 
hopefully we find a nice distraction for all of these girls. <laughs> we need a good rebound. Everyone here needs a good rebound guy. I'm excited to see how this prince uh, plot plays out. I know. We'll see what happens there. If you have any thoughts about the show or comments about upcoming episodes, feel free to reach out to us over email at thepemberleypodcast at gmail.com or across social media accounts at thepemberley. And stay tuned to see what happens next on Bridgerton. 